0: Thank you, team. Thank you, Stan. Uh, We could all go home after just that story, couldn't we? Um, It's powerful. And uh, today we want to uh, really kind of continue on the whole theme of power. Uh, Stan and I talked a little bit afterwards, and uh, it's just amazing how God kind of orchestrates a service to go together, and that's certainly been the case uh, this day. Well, we're going to continue on in our study in the book of Ephesians today, and um, we're at the hinge point of the letter of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, or six chapters, the first three chapters have been our identity in Jesus Christ, and um, we're going to close with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in this first part of the the book. Pastor Mark is going to continue preaching uh, next two weeks from now after Easter, and Take us through, beginning with chapter 4, where we're going to learn more about our mission in Christ. So we're at a, a hinge point in that book, a very pivotable... pivotal. Piv- <laughs> somebody going to laugh with me? Uh? Okay, <laughs> thanks, thanks. I really... It's pivotable, right? Is that right? Pivotal. Pi- pivotal? Pivotal. pivotal? Pivotal! Thank you, thank you. And we might have a few laughs along the way. Um, but um, in, in this book, too, if... if to the Ephesians, I think Paul is going to. You'll see that Paul deals with love and power. And um, what uh, I don't know what comes to your mind when you when you think of power. I think of what uh, the story we just heard about love and power. But a lot of us think about different things when we think of power. And uh, maybe you're like Tim Allen. Remember Tim Allen and that? Uh, that thing needs more power. That's all it needs. Oh. oh, oh. Now, Tim needed power in his power tools, and he needed power in his cars. That's the kind of power that Tim related to. I can remember one time experiencing the power of 50 armored vehicles when I was an infantry officer converging on a refueling point that I was in charge of, and literally the earth shook. Get run over, and it's especially when it's at night. So uh, that's, that's power. But some of you think of power in a lot of other ways, and let's, let's take a look at some of those. Now, I know a number of you are thinking about power and that with the motorcycles, the spring coming out. And of course, there's the governor who says, you need more power. <laughs> That's Arnold in his younger days and uh, before he was ever thought about politics, perhaps. Now, Arnold would say, you need more power. And I, my, what I want to propose to you today is that you have all the power that you need from God this day to live the Christian life. You have it all today. You don't need more power. You have it all today. Love and power. What an interesting contrast, isn't it? Love and power. Just to think of Stan's story of his love for his brother and how the power of God and the love of God got him through in an amazing way. Uh, I don't think there's any other better picture than that, whole thing of love and power. But when I think of love and power, I think the power that many of us had and experienced growing up, You're having a loving parent, Who launches you out with a strong self-identity, encourages you, and helps you to accomplish things and go out and do things that you never thought were possible. They embolden you. They give you a strong sense of identity. How many of you saw on the news a couple nights ago another illustration of love and power, in my opinion? And I'm still kind of choked up after I have this mental picture going over in my mind. Maybe you saw a father just got home from deployment seven months in Iraq. You remember seeing this on the news? He comes home. He's going to surprise his kindergarten son. He's five or six years old. And he walks into the room in uniform and he calls out his son's name. How many of you saw this? He calls out his son's name. And what happened? <laughs> I'm going to get choked up. He calls out his son's name. His son turns around and is basically trying to hold it together emotionally until he jumps into his daddy's hand, arms. And they hugged and they kissed. And he didn't let go of his daddy. That's love and power when you know that you're loved and then you're empowered to live in a way to know that you've got the confidence to live life. That's what we want to talk about today. I think when I think of, um, with, uh, with power and I think about Paul's letters, what we're going to look at today is Paul's second prayer to the Ephesians. His first prayer came in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians toward the end. And in that chapter, Paul deals a lot, if you remember, of what we have in Christ in fact, if you just underline or circle that phrase in Christ, it's probably about eleven or twelve times in chapter one. And then, because of what we have in Christ, Paul launches off into prayer. I would say Paul's—I would summarize Paul's prayer in chapter one as to know Christ, to know Him, to know of His love, to know—and uh, and that's that's seen there several times—is to know Him better and to know the hope that He's given to us. Now, in Paul's second. Prayer, which we're going to look at today, I would summarize to grasp, to know, and then also to grasp the love and the power that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at that, and uh, let's let's if you would turn into your Bibles. If you have a chair Bible, our passage is found in page on page eight twenty eight. If you're bringing your own Bible, I don't know what page it is, but you can look it up and follow along with me. So let's go ahead and. Take a look at these first two verses. Basically, Paul has written this prayer, and it's broken up into three sections. The first part is the introduction of Paul's prayer, and then there's the body of Paul's prayer, and then there's the last part, or the ending, which is a doxology. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15 and read along with me. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Two very, very short verses. But there's several things packed in here. Paul starts and uses the phraseology of this prayer for this reason. It's the same phrase he used in his first prayer in chapter 1, for this reason. Why did Paul use the phrase for this reason? Well, I think in chapter 1 it kind of makes sense that with all that we have in Christ, he, he launches out into prayer and goes into prayer of thanksgiving and that they would know Christ and know him better. In this prayer, he uses the same phraseology, but I think we can go back to verse 12 in chapter 3, which says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So Paul is taking the initiative to approach God with confidence and with freedom, with freedom and confidence. And this is such a great thing, just to think that we, like Paul, have that freedom. Uh, and that confidence, as loved children of God, to approach God, to ask Him for anything. Last night, after our message, uh, after our service, I met with the 20-somethings downstairs. And we were, had a good discussion and dialogue about prayer. And the kind of thing was, that we talked about was, does God hear our small prayers? Does God hear our large prayers? Yes, God hears those. In fact, the neat thing is, is that God is attentive to our needs that we can pray and we can ask God anything in the name of Jesus and he hears us, we have access to him. Paul recognizes, this, and so he takes advantage of approaching God with um, freedom and with confidence. But then there's another little phrase in there that says, I kneel, I kneel. Now, most of the Jews in that, that time of history, uh, when they prayed, they would pray standing up. Occasionally, they would lie flat on the ground and, and pray that way. But to kneel was a little bit out of the ordinary. Now, we we kneel today. We don't do it in a large group so much like this. But maybe at home as you're praying, you're kneeling. And here Paul takes the unusual stance of praying, his posture in prayer. And I think that demonstrates a few things. Number one, it demonstrates Paul's submission to to the Father. Paul is submitting himself to the reign of God as he kneels in prayer. And then his humility, the humility that he has in approaching God. But I think even greater than the submission and humility is Paul's recognition of his place and of God's place. Of recognizing that God is above all, all things. Yes, he's a friend, he's a father. Through Jesus, he's Abba, Father, but he's God. And I'm here. And Paul recognizes that as he kneels before the Father. And then notice that God has a family, before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. God has a family. And we find here that um, uh, some of the uh, scholars on this passage would say, well, Paul is using a little bit of a wordplay in terms of father and describing what father means. But it's father in a, n- a number of senses. And I, I was thinking, oh, how, do, how would I describe this? And so uh, I, I just think of the concentric circle. So if you'll bear with me. God is the father in terms of being the father of the heavenly realms. God has created everything. We, f- we find this in Revelation. We find that Jesus is seated in the re- heavenly realms. We find in the book of Ephesians a couple times where Paul mentions uh, the heavenly realms. So God is the creator and sa- sustainer of all things. Secondly, God is the father of all humanity. And we recognize that. And, of course, if you look in the book of Revelation, you see that, that people from every tribe, nation, tongue are going to gather Uh, for judgment, for eternity. And God is the father of all humanity. And we often hear about that and just speaking to our friends that God is the father of mankind. But then, more importantly, God is the father of all believers. And remember a couple of weeks ago that Pastor Mark talked about uh, in Ephesians 2 that the two people, the Jew and the Gentile, two two, uh, kinds of people in the world, right? Jew and Gentile, and that were separated. God has brought them together through faith, their faith and trust in God and through Christ, together, Jew and Gentile, into that one man. And so God is the father of all believers. And then lastly, we know that Jesus referred to God the father as, as father. And so there's that sense where God is the father of each of, those, in the, each of those areas. What a wonderful thing that we can approach God and know that he hears us and that he cares about us and that he's our father. Well, that brings us to the main body of the letter. And let's, let's take a look at that and read through that. Verses 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may, together, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Uh, There's a lot in there. I I haven't learned how to pray that way myself, but this is how Paul prays. There's some interesting use of language here. And uh, we find that uh, Paul, I think the crux of Paul's prayer is found in verse 16, where he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Bottom line, I think Paul's praying for love and for power. First, again, the first prayer I would say was to know God better, to know Christ better, and this one I think it's to understand His power and to grasp His power. But why does Paul pray for power? Interesting. Why would he pray for power? Well, I think there's several reasons. I think the first reason that Paul prays for power is that we are prone to sin. We're prone to sin. There's a natural default. A propensity that each of us have as being human beings to default back to sin. And even though we might know the Lord Jesus and maybe we've had our sins forgiven by Him and numerous times we go to Him in confession, we have a natural default to sin. And so there's a need for us to go back and to renew the power and to ask Him for His forgiveness and to live our life and to deal with temptations with His power because we, we sin. Paul in Romans 7 says, that which I don't want to do, I do. You know, Wretched man that I am. And here he is. He wants to do the right thing, but he has a default to sin, just like the rest of us. But then secondly, I think we seek to serve. We seek to serve. In uh, Ephesians, it talks about us being servants of God. And if you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, Mark talked about the fact that we are saved by grace and that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has a purpose for us. He has a place for us here. And that then leads us to the fact that we are to shine. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God has a mission. God has a purpose for each one of us here who claim the name of Christ. It's kind of interesting. You know, it wouldn't in life be great if he kind of, you know, we come to faith in Christ and he kind of just zapped us into heaven? You know, it'd spare us from a lot of stuff in our lives. But he doesn't because he has a mission, he has a purpose, and that is we, that we serve and that we shine for him. But then he's got another reason that uh, I think that we are asking for powers, and that sometimes we suffer. And in uh, that passage in 1 Peter, it deals with suffering by bearing the name of Christ. And I was talking to someone in the atrium before the service and we were talking about living in the good old US of A and really we don't know what suffering is as Christians here in the United States. You know, and we we, he and I acknowledge that we're wimps when it comes to suffering. You know, that maybe I'll be ridiculed, maybe they'll they'll joke at me, things like that. Maybe once in a while I'll be ostracized, but by and large I don't know what it is to suffer for the name of Christ. So we need God's power. You know, when when we have to endure that kind of abuse, when brothers and sisters all over the world are uh, are receiving a lot more abuse than we would ever receive for bearing the name of Christ. But you know, in just living our our own le- earthly existence here, we recognize the fact that we all suffer, It might be suffering in our bodies. Maybe it's an illness that we're dealing with, or that a loved one is dealing with. That's that's hard, and we're experiencing suffering. Maybe it's emotional suffering or pain uh, caused by things that people have done to you, or maybe it's it's. Choices that you've made in the past that are coming back to haunt you and you're tormented with those kinds of things. We all, this side of eternity, experience suffering. So we need God's power. And then lastly, we need power for renewal. That we need an attitude adjustment from time to time. We need to be refreshed. We need God's power. We need to sense his love and acceptance in our lives. And so I think those are some of the reasons that we experience why we need God's power. Paul gives us guidance in the next chapter in, in, uh, in Ephesians 4 for another reason we need power. And that is that he's going to prescribe some certain conduct that are becoming for those who love Christ. And when you look at what he asks of us to do, what he asks us to consider, you realize that you can't get through that without God's power. That none of us are perfect enough. None of us have it all together to live the Christian life without the power. Well, that then just takes us back through uh, verses 17 through 19. And what are the results of God's power? If this is what Paul's praying, and it's evidently pretty important to him, what, is, what are the results of that? Well, I think there's basically three. And the first, uh, in verse 17, I think we can say that Christ has increasing influence and control of our lives. That Christ has increasing influence and control of our lives. I like uh, what the NLT says here. Uh, in this translation... Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. Now, the NLT that we used to use here at Door Creek, there, there was an older version of the NLT. And I like how that says, it says, that Christ will make himself more and more at home in your hearts. I like the way that says it, because there's a sense that when we come to Christ... He is invited into our hearts. In fact, a number of you have read a powerful little booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Boyd Munger. And in that powerful little booklet, that's exactly what he does. He likens our hearts to a home for the Lord. And he says that we invite Christ in, and oftentimes we invite him in, and we just have Jesus come in and sit in the living room. Now, I don't know what kind of house you have, but uh, uh, a lot of houses today have formal living rooms that no one ever uses. And yet that's where you, the first place where you entertain a guest. And sometimes, even if we know Jesus Christ and he's taken up residence in our heart, we, we relegate him to the living room in our lives. And maybe he wants to get up and, and kind of follow us into the, to the dining room or to the kitchen or to the den or the bedroom or different areas, and we, we, we don't let him go there. We don't want him to go there. And the whole point of Munger's little book, My Heart Cries Home, is that Jesus wants to get into every nook and cranny in your house, in your heart. He wants to get in there. He wants to get into that old hall closet that you haven't cleaned out in years. In fact, you don't even know what's in there anymore. And that's where Jesus wants to go. And he even gives an illustration of that in the book. But one of the results of praying for power, is that Jesus will be more and more at home in our hearts and have control, just like Stan said, that Jesus isn't on the periphery, but that Jesus is central to our lives. And I think a second thing, a second result of God's power is like believers or saints living before, who are living with me now and who will live after me, I can experience, we can experience the power and extent of God's love. What does it mean to be a saint? Well, for those of you who've grown up in different backgrounds, we think of saint as the super people. You know, we think of Billy Graham's, we think of the Pope, we think of Sister uh, um, Therese, is it? Mother Teresa. I was going to say Sister Teresa, which it is, but Mother Teresa. And uh, we think of these great people who've done great things. In reality, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the saints in Ephesus. He wrote the book of Philippians to the saints in Philippi. He wrote to the saints in Corinth, the book of Corinthians. You know, Paul wrote to ordinary folks like you and me. If you know the Lord Jesus, if you love the Lord Jesus, you're walking with him, you are a saint in God's economy. Not because you're perfect, like Stan said with his brother Steve. Not because you're perfect or because you've got it all together, because, but because that you, you follow the Lord Jesus. That's what makes us a saint. So the saints aren't just some pie-in-the-sky people, super saints. Us ordinary saints get to experience the power of, and extent of God's love. And then I think the third reason or third result of God's power is we become increasingly all God intended us to become. We become more like the Lord Jesus. We become more like Jesus. And isn't that great? And that's what it means to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, to be more and more like our Savior. Well, in reading this prayer and understanding the importance of power and living the Christian life, why don't more of us experience the power of God? Why is it that I kind of struggle through this Christian life and it's so confusing? Well, I suppose there's two main reasons. And I think these are the reasons that Paul is very anxious for us to know and to consider as he prays his prayer. I think the first reason might be that we might not actually know Christ. That we might not know Christ. You see, a person can know about Christ, but not really know him. A person can know about Christ, Palm Sunday, they can know about Christmas, they can know about Good Friday, they can know about Easter, they can know about Jesus, but maybe they don't know him. Maybe they've never had that personal encounter, that personal relationship of knowing Jesus. I'm reminded of a story that uh, uh, my son told me, our oldest son one summer, chummed around with an NFL football player, an all-pro football player who lived in our town back in Minnesota. And by the way, he wasn't a Viking, but I won't tell you his name. But (laughs) but, uh, he had the privilege of lifting weights and going out and just hanging together with this uh, ball player. And um, this ball player told him a story where he was uh, an All-American in college, and he was projected as the first-round draft pick in the NFL, which means you're a pretty good ball player. And he's sitting in the living room of his parents in Iowa. And uh, he's waiting to hear, get a call from a team. And he he leans over to his grandmother, his godly Catholic grandmother. And he says, Grandma, he says, "Uh, I've been an All-American. I'm probably going to go first round. I'm going to make a lot of money. And I feel empty inside. I feel empty. She leaned over to him and said, You need to know Jesus. He said, Grandma, I know Jesus. She said, No, you don't. You don't know Jesus. You know about Jesus. You don't know Jesus. In the course of some time, he later came and placed his faith in Christ. We can know about Jesus and not have a relationship with him. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've come several Sundays and, and God's drawing you to himself. You don't sense what's going on, but you sense God drawing you to him. Today can be the day of salvation for you. If you're here and you'd like to have that relationship with Jesus, you you know about him. You're learning about him. You're connecting the dots. You can know Jesus today. It comes simply by taking that attitude like Paul did of kneeling before him, either physically, but especially emotionally. Kneeling before the God, the Father of the universe, of humanity and of all believers Acknowledging your sin before him. Acknowledging to him that you've lived life your own way and hasn't worked out too great. That you need him. Asking him to forgive your sins to come into your life. When you do that, he gives you eternal life. He gives you forgiveness. He gives you a new lease on life. And he begins to open your eyes up to different things. If you've not done that, I just want to encourage you to consider doing that. Either in your seat or with a friend maybe that you know here at church or, or come talk to me or one, one of the, your other friends here at church. It's important that you know Jesus. That's the first step to experience his power. But then I think there's an, another reason that we don't experience God's power, Christ's power. And I think that is for those of us who know Christ, we don't grasp his power. We might know Jesus. We might have a relationship with him, but we don't grasp his power. It's interesting. Interesting. Paul, who wrote this book and who wrote so many other books of the Bible, had a relationship with the living Lord. He suffered for Jesus. He suffered. He's, he actually really suffered for being a Christian, for bearing the name of Christ. And yet, in Philippians, he says, he presses on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. He does, didn't just lean back and say, I said the prayer... I walked the aisle, I uh, raised my hand, or whatever means of response that a person might have to invite Jesus into their lives. Paul didn't settle there. He says, I press on to know him. That's how seriously Paul took, a, took this whole area of grasping who Jesus was and grasping his power. Well, you might be thinking, Bob, that sounds great. His power sounds kind of appealing. I, I understand I need power. But how do I stoke up that power? You don't. You can't stoke it up. It comes from God. In fact, he's already given it to you through his Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse 16 again. Just like salvation, we learned in chapter 2, salvation is a gift of God. God's power to live the Christian life is a gift of God. Do you remember what Jesus said to us, what he said to his disciples in chapter 14, 15, and 16 in the book of John? He told them he was going to go away. He says, you know, when I go away, I'm going to leave someone for you. He's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll remind you. He'll instruct you. He'll teach you. He'll comfort you, just like he did Stan. And then in Acts one eight, he says, oh, by the way, he'll give you power. He'll give you power. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with with him. He's given you the gift of his Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will not empower unwilling or inattentive believers. And I think that's sometimes what we are, is we're unwilling or unattentive believers. If you're a follower of Christ, the issue is not whether you have the Holy Spirit or how much of the Holy Spirit that you have. You have him. The issue is, How much of of you does the Holy Spirit have? That's really the issue. You have the Holy Spirit. How much of you does he have? When you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, like it says in verse 19, you're filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You start to, to look and act more like Jesus. He takes up residence in your life. He becomes the focal point of your life. Well, this brings us then to the last two verses uh, of, of Paul's prayer. And uh, there are verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now this is often referred to as a doxology, and you know, depending upon the church you grew up in, we, we sang doxologies. You know, and there's all kinds of different doxologies. Maybe when I say that word, a certain a tune comes to your mind, and the words come pretty easily. Well, what does doxology mean? Doxology is a combination of Greek words, dox dox meaning uh, glory or honor, and uh, logos meaning word or speak, and that the combination of those words is basically to give glory or honor to God. And just in, uh, in just ordinary uh, language, we'd say that a doxology is a simple verse or song that gives glory or praise to God. And that's what, exactly what Paul is doing as he closes his prayer for the Ephesians. He's giving a doxology. But I'm really challenged by that verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Uh, It's interesting that God is working in this situation, not in the grand scheme of things, but that God, that Paul is asking God to work through us, through you and me, through the Ephesians. And isn't, isn't that something? That God would choose to work through us. Not just the, not all his big things, but that God would seek to work through through you and me. It makes me wonder um, what God could do in my life if I just asked Him. Does God hear the little prayers? You bet He does. Does God incline His ear to those prayers? Absolutely. But why aren't I praying bigger? What might God want to do if I learn to pray big? Think of that uh, verse in John 15, 16. It says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, that your fruit would last. He says, Therefore, pray, and the Father will give you fruit. You know what that, that pertains to? That pertains to the fact that God wants to use you and me. Part of that mission that He has for us to see other men and women, boys and girls, come to know Jesus. And I'm convinced I don't see more fruit in my life because I'm not asking God for bigger things. And yet, that's what Paul's saying: that to Him who is able, He's able. Am I? <laughs> he's able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. That's awesome. God wants to do something, not that he's going to do on his own, but he wants to use me. He wants to use you. And then I think sometimes, well, what if I prayed uh, prayed to God for big things, and what if Door Creek, what if we as individuals trusted God for bigger things? I'm so grateful that God's at work in our church. And he is. And uh, you heard Stan's story. There's a lot of stories. Each of you could share, share a story. God is at work here. And that's, and I don't know. That might, might be because we're not even asking him for big things. What if we asked him for big things? What would God choose to do to the ministry, through the lives of the people here at Door Creek Church? Amazing. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. I want to believe God for big things. Well, if we believe God for things, what's the outcome? Well, verse 21 tells us that in the future, generations to come, will be blessed for all eternity and God and the church, God will be glorified through Door Creek Church and through Jesus Christ. That's the outcome as we trust God for big things, as we appropriate his blessing. To know the love of God to grow in the love of God. And then to grasp the power that he's already made available to us through his Holy Spirit. Why do we need it? Because we're, we're us. <laughs> we need his power. Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for these words of Paul. For the heart he expresses here as he prays for your people. And Lord, we want uh, this prayer to apply to us as well. We would ask that you would take the ministry of your word. That you would help us to know Jesus. To have relationship with him. And then as we know him, Lord, we would ask that we would grasp the power that you've given to us through your Holy Spirit. That we would live a life that's pleasing to you and trust you for big things. And Lord, as you are pleased to do that in and through us, and through us as a church, we'll ensure that you get the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.